to be with you this morning and uh, to gather together and to uh, enjoy some soup later. So, let's pray as we open up around God's word this morning. Jesus, we want to recognize that as we open the scriptures together, that you are present with us, that you have gone before us and that you continue to want to lead and guide and teach us. So my prayer this morning, God, is that you would give us the ears to hear and a heart that is sensitive to your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, through the news this week, uh, some of you may have noticed that uh, one of the MasterChef judges, George, oh, George, yes, uh, has uh, been, uh, he's in trouble. He's the little dude in the middle, for those of you who aren't watches of MasterChef. Uh, George found himself in a little bit of trouble this week uh, in the papers because his organisation had been found to have been underpaying staff over, I'm not sure how long, but a, a few years, I would suspect, uh, to the tune of just under $8 million. That's a pretty big underpayment, isn't it? So over, well, not just one person, but a, a number of people who were underpaid out of that. And, uh, you know, he was fined $200,000 for that. And uh, I kind of did some rough calculations that, well, if you take $8 million and if you were to invest that on a return of uh, 3%, you get 240000 back in one year. And I thought, well, it seems like a, a light fine for someone who has done that. Now, the people have been repaid, like the debt has been paid uh, according to uh, what, what's been reported and so forth. And, uh, you know, and it came up, the, the plus side is that it came up from a, a bit of a self-reporting mechanism where... They were probably sitting down doing the math going, gee, we've made a great profit this year. I wonder how that happened. Oh, we haven't been paying people properly. And so therefore they went back and have, have uh, paid people what they owed them. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was a person who was interviewed, one of the people who had been underpaid, because some of the uh, rhetoric that's coming out now is that, well, George should be removed from his, you know, being a judge on MasterChef, you know, and there's probably a bit of a groundswell around that, that idea of, like, he shouldn't be uh, on that. And this person was asked, you know, do you think George should be removed from being a judge on MasterChef because of this indiscretion? And she was like, definitely. He should not be put in that position of being able to continue to, you know, gain more and more wealth and popularity and notoriety because of his actions around that. And I would suspect that uh, most Australians would probably have that kind of feeling behind. It was like, yeah, you know, here's, here's someone who's a pretty wealthy person that they kind of haven't been treating people well. And, you know, the Aussie spirit should be everyone gets a fair go, right? And if you're, not getting, if you're not giving someone a fair go, why should you continue to be promoted and given more than the opportunity before you? We see it also in the news. I don't know if you've noticed that Clive Palmer is also in a bit of trouble. He's going through court at the moment because uh, when one of his mines fell over, there were numerous staff who weren't able to be paid. And again, I suspect that most would look at that and go, well, that's not fair. Why is it that the wealthy always seem to continue to be able to come out of things and go, yeah, they're okay, but those who are probably in that, in that stage of life where potentially they're living payday to payday are finding themselves being caught short being left out and, and missing out as a result of other decisions, totally out of their control. And we would go, you know, we want to be a fair society. We want to make sure that people are treated fairly and correctly, right? Would, would you agree with that? 
just a simple nod. You know, it's good to know that you're with me. Now, what if I was to tell you that the idea of everyone getting a fair go or that we should get what we were owed, what if I was to tell you that was a problem when we think about God? <laughs> when we think about God, if we think that, well, you know, the idea of fairness and equality when it comes to God, that that actually gets in the way for us about how we engage with God. And if we take that principle of, you know, that people should be treated how they deserve, and if we apply that to how we see God, that actually stops us being able to engage with God fully. And it actually gets in the way. It's not helpful for us to do that. I'm going to ask you to come and read uh, the scripture reading for us this morning, which is from Matthew 20, uh, 1 to 15. And it'll be up on the screen. But if you've got your Bibles, uh, read along. It's a, a parable that Jesus told. Do you want to put your... Yep, cool. Thank you. Parable of the vineyard workers. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. And at noon and at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, Why haven't you been working today? They replied, Because no one hired us. The landowner told them, Then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, Each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. Yet you've paid them just as much as us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them. Friend. I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Thanks, Jude. Well, that's a a really interesting parable, isn't it? When we start to apply that idea of fairness and equality and that that idea that we we should be treated as we deserved. And it might be a bit challenging for us at times. Why do those who worked a little get the same as those who worked a long day? Surely those who worked longer should get paid more. How would you feel if you started early in the day 
worked long and hard in the sun, and then you realized that you got a day's wage just as the person who had just sort of rocked up at the end, maybe fluffed around a little bit, you know, uh, moved a few things around the, the, the warehouse a little bit, and then uh, they got the same as you. Would you be okay with that? Would you be going, that's great, I'm really glad that they were blessed with a full day's wage? No. We don't roll like that, do we? We don't kind of look at that and go, yeah, that's awesome for them. Because what are we thinking? What about me? What about me? I'm missing out. I suspect that most of us might be a little outraged by this. And we would be on Facebook or Twitter letting the world know about the injustice that has taken place. And then the other keyboard warriors would get behind it and there'd be a movement of going, this is not right. This is not okay. Things need to be set right. Because there has been an injustice here. This is an appalling treatment of another human being, and it's not okay. And so when we carry this idea, this narrative, that we get what we deserve or that, that we are entitled to more than what we have, it gets in the way of how we understand God. And it gets in the way of how we relate to God. And it gets in the way of how we relate to one another. Because the truth is, all of us have received a significantly more than we deserve from God. And that we should be able to celebrate in that and recognize that in our life. But often we pull back from that. And we get very focused on, well, what about me? What's happening in my world? Should I get more than what is here? I was thinking about this during the week and it got me wondering how many Christians actually have a sense of karma in the way they see God. Now karma is the spiritual principle of cause and effect that is present in a lot of religions. And I wonder if many Christians, even though we would never call it karma, we would never say that, you know, well, we, you know, we think we deserve more. We would never say that. We'd never use the word karma because, well, that's not a Christian word, is it? But I wonder how many of us kind of have that that built into us, that idea of cause and effect. You know, that if I do these three good things for God, well, then I should be on the plus side of the ledger and God should treat me accordingly. And, you know, if I do three things which are bad, well, then I should expect that there would be negative consequences in my life, that I would have to suffer in some way. I suspect that most of us probably, even though we would never come out and state that, we'd never write that on our Facebook page, whatever else it might be, we'd never put it out there and go, this is how we think God operates. I wonder if, for most of us, if there is a sense of that's how, how it really works. That we have a belief that, you know, if I'm good and faithful to God, if I turn up to God, if I come to church, if I give my tithe, if I serve, well, then life should turn out in a plus way for me. And if I'm not, if I'm a bit of a scumbag, if I don't do the right things, if I skip church a few times, if I give up reading my Bible, and if I stop you know, wanting to serve people around me, well then I should expect that you know, life will not go so pleasant for me. So I just want you to think about that for a moment and go, is that something that... Re- don't put your hand up, I'm not asking for show and tell here, but I just want you to think about that for a moment and go, is that how you understand your relationship with God to work. If I do good, God will do good for me. If I don't do good, if I do bad, then God will be against me. 
because I want to suggest to you, if that's how you understand how God works, you have a misunderstanding of who God is. Now, that might be quite confronting for you. Some of you might be thinking Clayton's off his rocker. He's using the word karma in church, and he's talking about that when we do bad things, that we should expect good things. The truth is, is that all of us have already received an abundance from God. We are already blessed, enriched and fulfilled. And what Jesus does with this parable is that he totally disregards the idea that we get what we are entitled to. And I suspect that those who were listening, standing around, listening to Jesus talk, they were waiting for this wonderful sort of revelation of how things should be. And as I was re- doing some research on this particular parable, there was a, a Jewish parable that sort of sat alongside this that rabbis would tell. But the, the punchline in the, rab- in the rabbi's version was, you get what you deserve. You should get what you deserve. But what Jesus does is he flips this around and goes, no, no, that's not what this is saying at all. That God is able to be abundantly generous to all. Now, as I've spoken this morning, I'm sure that most of you would come back and say to me, well, the Christian message isn't one of karma. The Christian message is one of grace. That we are saved by God because he, he loves us and not because of anything we have done. And some of you might be bringing scriptures to mind. You might have Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 in your mind. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance. Or maybe, you know, for most of you, John three sixteen, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge it but to save the world through him. Or maybe Romans 5 is one of your favorites. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most of us would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Or perhaps 1 John 4 is one that you're familiar with. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And one of my personal favorites comes from Colossians. Colossians 1. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything on heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And verse 21 says, And this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now... 
He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, all of those scriptures, and I could go on and on, point to the grace of God, that there is nothing that we can do to earn a right to stand before God and go, God, I deserve your favor. I deserve it because of this, this, and this. All these scriptures do is point to the fact that God, through his goodness, through his love, through his mercy, his compassion, chose to show goodness to us. Everything starts with God. And so when we bring a sense of entitlement to our relationship with God, then we kind of miss the point. Because it's not that we are entitled, it is the fact that we have been blessed. That we have been restored and redeemed and renewed because of who God is. Not because of who I am or because of who you are, but because of who God is. So these scriptures all speak of love, the mercy, the grace of God towards humanity, towards you. That God loved you. And it's important that we understand that everything we have comes from God. The air we breathe, the food we eat, the planet we live on, the oceans we swim in, the rains that fall, the sun that shines, the frost that we walk on, they all come from God. We are not deserving of them. They are simply gifts given by an exceedingly generous God. So here's something I want you to remember. And maybe you want to write this down to take it away as well. God is not interested in what you can do for him. God is not interested in what you can do for him. God is interested in something more important than our good works. Because if we simply default back to good works, we end up in the the cycle of earning favour, of thinking that we are entitled, that we deserve something. So Matthew 22, where Jesus is asked a question, and this is the, the answer, this is the other portion of it, when we think about, well, if he's not interested in our good works, what is he interested in? Jesus has asked a question designed to try and trap him. And you may know this passage where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus sums up the situation and he gives them the only answer he can. Because he says, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, go out and do good works. Is that how we read the scripture? No, that's not what it says at all. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40 says, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Where is the good works in this? Where do we see Jesus saying, well, the greatest commandment is that I should, you know, slave away for God? It's not there. And if we were to simply read this, what would we assume about God? If this is all we ever had of the Bible, what would we assume that God wants from us? That we would love God and that we would love others. 
Now, we do have the rest of the Bible, so we can't just sort of narrow it right down and go, you know, this, this is it. But at the heart of it, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he has. And so how do we, how do we respond to that? How do we go, well, if all that God asks of me is that I would love him with all that I am and that I would love those around me, how do we respond to that? Because there are elements in our lives where we do recognize that it's good to serve God, that we give of ourselves. And, you know, and all of us know that you know, to love another human being involves often actions, the giving of ourselves in doing that. That we would love God and we would love one another. This is the answer to the question, what does God want from me? What does God want from you? That you would love him and that you would love others. Often the language that we use around God is that of sacrifice. And to a certain degree it makes sense. As God has shown us what sacrificial love looks like. You would have noticed a lot of those passages I read earlier talked about Jesus dying for us. There's a pretty heavy sacrificial overtone as we, well, it's not even an overtone, is it? It's right there, front and centre. And so it makes sense that we would bring some of that idea that, well, you know, that there is an element of sacrifice that is involved when we give our lives, when we seek to love God, that we would put him front and centre. But if all we ever know of God is sacrifice, then it becomes a little difficult to enjoy who God is. If all we're ever doing is sacrificing, 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 then learning to enjoy simply who God is becomes challenging. Because one of the things that we might take away, one of the narratives we might have is that God is a demanding God, that he's always wanting more from me than sometimes what I have to offer. But what if the idea was that God was simply willing for us to delight in his presence? And what would it look like for us to know that God simply delights in who we are? So to help us move towards being able to enjoy God, we first need to understand that God delights and enjoys you. He enjoys humanity. Yes, there are things that break the heart of God. When sin, when sin utterly corrupts society, God is appalled by such things. So don't hear me say that sin doesn't matter. It does. But so do we. And so how God sees us matters as well. See, God's overwhelming response to humanity is one of delight and mercy. No matter how we feel, no matter how we look, no matter what we have or what we don't have, God delights in you. He delights in us. You know that no matter how average or awesome we might feel that we are on a Sunday morning, God delights in us. Now we've been blessed this morning with Kristen and Chris and Ethan and leading us in a time of worship. If I was leading the time of worship, God would still delight in that, even though it would be you know, go from plus 10 to minus 10 like that. 
But does that change the way in which God delights in us? No. The fact that we choose to be present with him, the fact that we notice him. God is delighted in you. No matter if the prayers are deep or short, God delights in you. No matter how we see ourselves, God delights in you. And I wonder whether, for some of us, this is, this is hard to try and really get our head around. Because we've often understood our relationship with God is that God is you know, all loving, all kind, and he has sacrificed himself for us. And so therefore, the appropriate response is that we would sacrifice ourselves for him. That we would give of ourselves And sometimes that narrative is shaped by the sense that we, we aren't really worthy. That we kind of need to keep getting to the point where one day God says, you're okay. Instead of recognizing that we start from that place. And I think part of the problem for us is that we have been told about the problem. And sin is a problem in our world. There's no doubt about that. But we often start with the problem because then we move towards the solution. You know. So sin is a problem, the solution is God fixed it, which means that we can respond to that. But what if we change that understanding of that a little bit? Instead of starting with the problem, let's start with who is God? That God is good and faithful and kind and generous and merciful. That we see God in that light. And then as we understand who God is, that kind of helps us understand the world we live in. That there is an abundance in our world. But that abundance is tainted and distorted by the sin in our world. And because of that, God has moved towards us through grace that we all might know what it is. So I want to show you a little clip. Uh, It's only very short. Now, I want you to imagine what it would be like to hear some of this if God was to say something like this to you every day. How would that change the way you perceive God? You know the clip, thanks. You was kind, you were smart, you was important. You were smart, you were kind, you was important. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> you is kind. You is smart. You is important. Can you ever imagine God saying, You is kind, you is smart, and you is important? Can you ever imagine God saying that to you? Can you ever imagine God sitting with you every day and going, you are loved, you are precious, you are mine? I want to encourage you this week and the week after and the week after and however long it takes 
in the morning. When you first open your eyes and you start to think about the day, to just wonder what it would look like to imagine God saying to you, no matter what happened yesterday, no matter what's coming today, that you are loved, that you are precious, and that you are mine. How would that change the way we start to live our lives for God? that we would start to recognize that God is for us in everything. That we would start to recognize that when we don't get it right, God has already forgiven us and calls us back to a place of love and compassion. What would it look like to be able to offset the other voices that come across your way that tell you that you aren't worthy, that you aren't good enough and somehow you are lesser than others. To replace those words with the words of God that says you are loved, you are precious and you are mine. That instead of starting with the problems, we start with God. Who is God? He is kind, compassionate, and merciful and he wants so much for us and if we always come from the place of thinking we have to please God we start in the negative instead of recognizing that we are already in the positive we are already there and to be able to live from an abundance that overflows because of who God is, not because of who I am. Simply because of who God is. Let me pray. God, we want to come before you and recognize that as we unpack this scripture, it's a little challenging to hear that you know that some for us sometimes there's a sense of fairness that we want to see the world operate in a certain way but your kingdom operates differently and help us to realize that we have already received far more than we ever deserve and when we come to that place of entitlement Remind us of your blessings in our life. Remind us that you have already gone before us, that you have already provided an abundance. And help us to learn to grow in a spirit of gratitude. Oh Lord, I really want to pray this morning for those who, this morning, this has been a difficult idea. The idea that you... We read it in the Bible that you love us. But there have been other things that have influenced how we engage with love, that we, there's a sense of we, we always need to be moving and doing things to, to sustain that and keep that. But Lord, just enable us to recognize that we don't start from a, a point of being in the negative with you, but we start of being in the positive. 
that you see us as people who are deeply loved, as a person who is loved immensely. And that we are precious to you. So precious. And that we are yours. And so God, I pray that you would guard our minds and our hearts this week. That we might live in a space that we are reminded that we are loved, that we are precious, and we are yours. Amen.